Truckers. I'm talking to a master racket technician. His name is Mark Campanile, and he's been working in the field of tennis for a long time, a very long time. And he has decades of experience working with rackets, and he also coaches people. And he's basically been you know, doing the shoe leather portion of the show. So while there's lots of experts out there who are on the glitz and glamour end of things, you know, on TV or, you know, this guy has been working steadily away and helping people improve their games and their lives by his contribution to um, racket, you know, racket use, really. And so I wanted to bring him on as a special treat. And I think if this works, we could actually have future conversations about specific issues with racket stringing and technology and things like that to bring more greater awareness to people um, who are playing the game of tennis. So with that, um, I'll just introduce Mark. And uh, Mark, are you there? I am here. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, so let me get started with our questions. So the first question I had for you is, what's your earliest memory of tennis? Earliest memory of tennis. Um, well, you know, I, I grew up um, not playing tennis. I grew up playing uh, golf and squash and hockey. So um, I think um, my earliest uh, recollection was probably when I was um, just uh, latter parts of uh, high school, I would think, is when I really, you know, noticed tennis. I always, I always knew what tennis was, but that's when I sort of noticed the game and got interested in it well that's interesting okay and so what sparked your interest in that um that's an excellent question um you know i played so many years of golf and i grew up as a junior you know golfer traveling around uh different states and playing different tournaments and everything and um i don't know i i I got into a point where um i loved um you know, doing a little bit more with my body, I guess, you know, um, running around more, getting uh, more physical, and um, tennis sort of intrigued me. I had, I had played squash because my dad was a big squash player, and I really enjoyed that. So um, a couple of my friends were playing some tennis, so one day I said, well, I think I can do this too. So got in there and started playing. And did you, you know, like I think a lot of younger guys, you know, they, they enjoy the sort of like, it's almost, you know, tennis has always been compared to a boxing match. And they always sit there and they, you know, it's kind of like that sort of old world gladiator. Once you get going, that sort of gladiator competition that tennis can bring out in people that, you know, you it's you against another guy. If, as long as it's singles, you know, it's you against another guy in the tennis court. And, you know, it's kind of cool because you get to, uh, I don't know, you get to get out your aggressions a little bit and you get to just have some fun. And, and you do do that movement. And I don't know, you're sweating and you're having a good time. Did that sort of appeal to you? Is uh, um, yeah, very much so. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm sort of addicted to exercise, so um, I love working out, and I, I do love this gladiator aspect of it, trying to figure out um, how to outsmart the other person and, uh, you know, come up with a plan to try to uh, try to win each and every point. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what I like, you know, putting yourself in situations that you're uncomfortable with. Well, and I think that that's one of the things that could draw people back into tennis, too, especially young boys who might be, you know, distracted by technology and electronica and everything else, is to consider that aspect in, 
you know, that you get to sort of duke it out with another kid without actually hurting him. You get to actually get on the court and you don't have to punch him in the face, but you can have fun and get out your aggressions. And, and, and also you can work the strategy and tactics like you're talking about because, you know, you can, you, you can do that. And it doesn't matter how big or small you are. You can, you can actually, you can actually do that. So, um, so then that sort of developed into kind of a love for the sport. Is that, did you have a club close by or? Very much. I mean, um, it was, it was a big love for the sport actually. Um, um, during this time I had, I had moved, uh, over to Europe and, um, one of the things that, um, I had developed some more friends over there. One of the things is they played tennis and, um, over there, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, red clay. Yep. So I, I played every day, frankly. And, um, I just, uh, you know, threw myself into it, to be honest with you. And um, it, uh, sometimes I would just go up by myself and just uh, hit forehand, you know, get a bucket of balls or just hit serves forever. And um, that, was my, that was my passion, just to get on the court every day. So that, that's basically what I did. So you were in Europe, and that's where you, it sort of sparked you. But then when, that, you, when, yeah. you, when you came back, did you have a club close by that you – um, so when I came back, I was at the uh, University of Wisconsin, and um, I lived right by Nielsen, which is where the men's uh, and women's team played. It was a huge facility uh, donated by the Nielsen company, and um, it uh, it was it was just unbelievable. And I I would go over and I would watch the men's team practice, and uh, again I had some group of friends, you know, who played tennis and. And that's what we did. And, um, you know, back when, in this day, you know, uh, it was probably, I guess, 1974, 75. And being a student, it cost $1.15 to play for an hour and a half or something like that. Right. right. <laughs> Indoors. It was ridiculous. Right. Well, I mean, adjusted for inflation, though, that probably was around ten dollars or something like that in today's. But yeah. still, still reasonably. So, but did you, did you have a tennis teacher at all? That sort of that you no. worked with? No. Okay. No. No. no not at all. And not at all. Were you? Did you? Did at any point did it sort of pick up? Uh, you know, like, did the McEnroe fever start to catch on at that time? Or um, my favorite was Bjorn Borg. Okay. So um, I watched I watched Bjorn Borg. My first my first racket was a uh, Billie Jean King uh, Bancroft, and then um, and then I got into uh, the Bjorn Borg racket, and um, you know and I kind of patterned my swings off of him. Um, uh, I, I had a naturally good two-handed backhand because I played hockey and I uh, I, I shot left-handed. So it was very easy for me to just pick up the racket, you know, and swing it. <laughs> so it, it, it was good. So, and, um, so you didn't look back, you know, because you alluded to talk, you know, playing squash, but also playing hockey and all these other sports. You kind of just didn't look back after a while, right? You didn't. Uh, no, not oh. at all. I, I um, my whole idea is I take and I, and I do this today with my students and how I teach. I take other sports and I ask them you know, what sports do you play? And I, and I, I try to relate the movements in that sport into tennis. So, you know, on a low forehand, for instance, um, I bowled in three different uh, bowling leagues at one point. 
And uh, when I hit a low forehand, you know, and I want to go cross court, I mimic the, the bowling stroke. And, um, and that's, those are the things I think about. When I hit my backhand, I'm thinking I'm hitting a slap shot, you know. <laughs> so those are, those are the deals. So I didn't really, you know, I watched TV a lot and watched a lot of players play. And then I watched them. Um, and then I related the, the movements of the other sports that I knew very well. And that's how I kind of developed my game. But actually, you know, it's funny because I think I was just having this conversation with my wife today about how um, so many people today have been so sort of acculturated into the idea that they have to have, you know, before they go off and they do this thing, we'll call it tennis, you've, you've got to have, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you've got to have all these necessary ingredients, right, to the, right. Reci the recipe is just the right racket just the right equipment, just the right shoes, and of course, just the perfect coach. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that's how I'm going to learn the sport. And I think, right. if anything, your story illuminates uh, a greater truism about human nature, that you, know, you found you had the will, you found it interesting or inspiring at some level, and you had the will to pursue getting better at it and and you and of course you had a natural affinity for a little bit of or for athleticism as you talked about but you had this will to pursue it and you kept pursuing it and you weren't on the hunt for the world's best coach in the in the area at the university of wisconsin uh, yeah. or right uh, and that's you, you, exactly yeah and, and and did that at all i mean it, did, it probably didn't even occur to you as a second thought. It just was like, well, this is what I'm doing. In other words, you didn't second guess yourself. You just stepped into it whole. It sounds like you stepped into it whole hog and, you know, embraced the sport for what it was and lo and loved and loved what you were getting out of it. That's it. I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's entirely it. You know, you, you, you have to have something, you know, what I call like the eye of the tigers. Like, you know, you got to be like a dog. You see ball, you go chase ball. <laughs> And, and and that's my mentality. I see a ball, I go chase it, you know, and I, and I don't, I try not to give up until, you know, until it, the point's over. So, and that's always been my mentality on things. Well, so. and I think, you know, that is what, so that was in part what propels the will to keep getting better, though, too, right? A I mean, absolutely. If you don't absolutely. have, if you don't see ball, chase ball, and keep it that simple, and and I also think and, and this is something that I wanted to just touch. I'm sure, you know, you teach people right as a pro practicing pro. Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, I think also that this sort of this sort of creates let's just call it out. It creates some anxieties, too, because the thing is, is see ball chase ball keeps it pretty clean. Right. And it keeps it pretty like yeah. in your head, straightforward. And, you know, you don't you don't you're not second guessing a certain stroke or a, at least in the beginning, you know, you're not, you, is that, is that, is that fair to say? Well, let me, let me, let me tell you this. Um, number one, I, you know, I'm, I'm a real, um, I think you really need to have great strokes. Um, I, you know, I, I grew up, uh, well, as, as my, let's put it, put it this way, as my son grew up and I coached him from, you know, age three, um, you know, I stressed having really, really good strokes because you. I think you really need to have great fundamentals to carry you through. Because in the juniors, you know, I saw too many kids who were very athletic and they were using powerful rackets 
but their strokes were not all that good. And I knew, and I would never let my son play with a, you know, what I thought was a, a too powerful racket for being a junior player, because I wanted his strokes to, you know, create the natural, um, the natural timing, the natural, what we call easy power. And um, so I, you know, I, 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 I always told him, I said, you see these kids right now, and maybe they're beating you right now. I said, but when you go to a level and you become more physical in your body, your physicality grows. I said, you're going to beat them because you're going to have strokes that you can continually depend on that will not break down, you know, over the course of a, you know, a 12, 15, you know, shot rally. Uh, so, um, you know, that's what I believe. And so I, I just pounded the, the whole time, you know, great forehand, great backhand stroke production. So I have to I have to stop you there and just track you back for just a second. When you say because you know not everybody's going to completely understand what you're saying because they don't have your frame of reference. But when you could you break it down when you say easy power, can you give just a you know your your uh -huh. what you mean sure. by that? Sure, I can. Uh, easy power is when you um, you know how to use your racket head acceleration. And your body weight, you know, is transferred correctly at, at the correct moment, and you're hitting the ball out in front, and the ball takes off, and you do not feel a thing. And um, it's like when uh, you know a, a, a batter in baseball, he just, you know, he swings and he hits it just correctly, and the ball takes off, and you know, goes 400 feet for a home run. So is it sort of um, like you're, you're, in other words, you're achieving full trunk rotation, and you're um, delivering that Magnus effect, which is just a... Oh, sure. Yeah, if you, yeah, of course, you know. And you feel it. I mean, you you know, the, the, the point is you can hit some shots that you just do not feel at all, and they just take off like a rocket. Right. Okay, that's easy power. You look at some other people. So you look at, I'll just take two people. You, look, you take a Roger Federer and you take a Rafa Nadal. Who looks like they work harder on the court? Right, Nadal. Nadal does. So, you know, he takes a lot. You know, he's got these very exaggerated, long strokes. Um, he's got a lot of upper body strength, and he's swinging extremely hard. He has, his racket goes at the most RPMs of, I think, of anybody on tour. So you look at how hard he is swinging, how much effort he puts into each stroke, and then Roger is, slides over the court, and it's very smooth, and makes unbelievably early contact and uh, uses the full benefit of his core strength. And, uh, you know, and so he looks effortless on the court and Rafa looks like he's trying very hard. Now, obviously both have created, you know, um, accomplished many great things, but, you know, over the time period, it seems to me that a guy like Roger Federer strokes will last more over time than somebody who swings like, uh, like Rafa. Well, your you're talking about the, the actual physical damage to the body. Yeah, your, your body's going to break down. I mean, it, that, that's what it is. So it looks like he's putting an incredible amount of effort to get the same amount of production that Roger puts in with less effort, it looks like. So that's what I'm talking about, easy power. So when you were training your son, and your son played D1 college, correct? Correct, correct. And so when you were training your son, um, I think that's one of the, and, and this kind of goes out of the order of the stuff we were going to talk about, but we'll get into it because I think you, it was important for you to bring it up. 
when you were training your son, I think there's a whole host of things that people see along the way that um, if you're not as involved, if you're kind of on the periphery as a tennis parent, you don't really understand. And I think you can sort of illuminate some of that, right? So, so for instance, I think people along the way are always disappointed, and you brought this up, that their kid is losing. <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they're, they, they, they're on this quest for the W, right? And I under, we can all understand that. We can all appreciate that. But sure. in the junior, and the junior journey, we'll call it, the junior journey is really, it's, it's more about learning and developing what will eventually become a game and your game and your, your strokes and, and how you do it. And you're gonna make right. and you're gonna make mistakes in the face of competition because you've got to face this highly charged emotional moment called competition. It's a highly charged right. emotional moment, and it's a highly charged if you make it mental moment, right? It's arguably right. I think of it as arguably 50-50 on the emotional mental and the, then the physicals on the other side because you've, oh. you, if you're doing it right. You're, you're having to control your emotions and channel your emotions, and you're also having to control and channel your mental analysis of what the other guy's doing and an, and an awareness of what you're doing or not doing, and then trying to make those calculations as to how what you're doing or not doing is working against what he's doing or not doing, and then, you know, figuring out a way through, right? I mean, that's... And well, I, well, absolutely. I mean, I, I think... I think all things being equal as far as, um, you know, physicality and level of play and everything, I, I, I think it's uh, way more than 50-50 mental. <laughs> I think it's 75-25, to okay. be honest with you. Okay. I mean, you know, there's so many there's so many good players, especially when you get up in your, you know, your your ranking as a player. You, you know, we'll, we could use UTR or whatever it might be. And, you know, just the different, you know, a 10.1 versus a 10.2 or a 12.3 versus a 12.4, you know, it, it basically comes down to the mental. Who's, who's, who's better at the bigger points? You know, matches can be so close and, you know, you can, you can have a great match and there could be, you know, 60 points to beat, you know, when it comes down to the end. But, you know, the person who happened to play the bigger points better, you know, because they're, they're mentally stronger, because they're more ready, you know, because, the big thing is they hate losing more than they like winning. Right. That's yeah. I, yeah I, that was a, that was a really good quote that I heard from somebody. I thought that was, I thought yeah. that was pretty important. And also that you, on your worst days, your B game can still beat your opponent's a game. Right. Exactly, because you got to figure out how to do it. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. but I think junior, I don't want this to get lost. I think that, Parents of junior tennis players need to hear that more, that, you know, that we need to develop. And yet, and yet, I will say this, and I don't know how it goes with your lessons. So now that we've said that, let's get into some of the more uncomfortable stuff. I don't see that necessarily being taught at the younger levels. I mean, obviously, you see it being taught a little bit when you start getting into the teen years. And you probably taught it to your son, growing up but i don't i see a lot of emphasis on stroke production and creating strokes and doing grounds and and all this other stuff and not a ton on serves but i 
and and so I guess what I'm wondering is if we're not missing the boat here by not uh, by not addressing this at an earlier age because I think these are skill sets the mental and emotional skill sets they take a long time to develop and not to mention as a kid is going through the years of growing up they're faced with you know their own emotional challenges for the hormones and things like that. But I mean, these are skills that take a long time to develop, right? Shouldn't we be going through these at an earlier age? Well, I agree. I mean, you know, number one, you have to, you got to measure each, each child differently. You have to figure out what they can actually digest. I'll use that word because, you know, some people can't think on a certain level at a certain age. And so going through this and just having this rote, you know, forehand after forehand, backhand after backhand, um, I think it's super important to develop and have great strokes because you want to be able to, as the point develops, to, you know, play at a certain level and then have to rise, you know, to try to end the point given the opportunity. However, um, I think it's really, if I were to do certain things over again, I would have really, really focused on volleys heavily, okay? Because I think the game has gotten to a point where it's, I don't know, a little, <laughs> little less interesting, you know, without using the word boring, you know, just from baseline to baseline, boom, boom. I, I'd rather see people coming in after a certain point and putting away a volley. And you look at some of the top players, they don't really have very good volleys. Right. And uh, so I, I would have really refocused on that. Definitely focus on the serve and not necessarily power on the serve, but be, having the ability to, uh, you know, uh, place your serve on command on certain points of the court. That part is very key, you know, because it's easy to return a, a fast serve unless somebody just blows it right by as you can't see it. But it's easy to, to return a flat, hard serve. It's harder to return a serve that's jumping and spinning and going in different directions. Well, it's funny you you said I'll interrupt you for just a second. When we went to Labor Cup um, in Chicago, and it was so interesting because I hadn't seen uh, Federer play Isner, and you know Isner's got this absolute atomic bomb serve, and and I saw Federer and he was a little shaken at first, you know, because but at the same time Federer's got the ability to place a serve on a dime, and I and I wouldn't say that same thing about Isner. So I mean, it shows no. you. It shows you the power of that, that Federer doesn't have the most powerful serve, but his placements is right there. And, Absolutely. And, and so I think that echoes what you're talking about with the focus on the serve. I think the other thing, though, that I would bring up, are you familiar with Craig O'Shaughnessy's work? Yes. Okay. And so one of the stats that he came up with, and Craig O'Shaughnessy is a statistician, and he's done a lot of analysis on tennis, and he's reviewed the statistics on matches and and yeah. and the play points and he's basically com- one of the conclusions that he came with after looking at all this data was that 70% of according to him 70% of the points won were completed within the first four shots yeah and so if you think about that that is not a what we're training for necessarily we're not, we're training, we, the kids are training ground stroke to ground stroke. We're doing these long rallies of, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40, even 50 times back and forth at the baseline, which is great. It, it's a real skill and an art to do that. But at the same time, when you're faced with a statistic like that, what does that tell us about what we need to focus on? 
for tennis. Well, I mean, right? first of all, first of all, I'm going to tell you that what I preach is that if you don't go down, if you don't know how to go down deep in practice, you're never going to be able to achieve that in a match. So even if the points, you know, the average point lasts, you know, uh, four four shots long, what happens when you do get into a point that is a, a 15 shot rally? And you've never done that in practice. Right. Well, you're never going to be able to do it in the match. So my point is that, you know, where I don't think you have to, you know, practice, you know, over practice like some of these college teams do. Um, I've seen some of the coaches where they just players are hitting too much, if you ask me. But I think you have to, when you are on the court, have to be able to do things and, and practice certain styles and shots just so that when you do get into a match, you have been pushed that hard, and you say to yourself, hey, I've done this in practice, I can do this now in the match. If right. you've never done it in practice and you get to a situation in a match, how are you going to have the confidence to do it? Right. It's not going to happen. Right. So I, I have a question for you. What are, you know, when you, com- when you, if you look back with your perspective and having played tennis and been involved with tennis for all this time, is there something that strikes you that's different? Is there one thing or something that's different from the time in tennis? I mean, obviously the equipment's different and there's a lot that's different on a observable level, but I'm thinking more from the um, emotional and or um, the feeling of tennis or things like that that are different from when you were playing tennis and well, younger to what is happening today. Um, okay. So the one thing that kind of strikes me the most is the fact that back in the day, I felt like tennis was more about your talent and what you could do with the ball. Now, the ball is struck at such a high pace, you know, on all levels. And I'm talking young children, you know, still. I, I, we have a lot of players at our club who are very young who hit a very heavy ball. And um, it's more about physicality now as opposed to the actual you know, the art of playing tennis, the, the talent of having the different types of shots. Um, you know, people now expect that you would just hit a huge, big, hard serve and then be just trading these missiles for ground strokes. You know that happened in all the big topspin, and uh, you never saw so much topspin back then. You had forward spin, you had back spin, but a lot of people hit more, you know, slice shots, and people were on top of the net more, and um, the players did not seem as athletic. Let's let's just face it, and they weren't in that kind of a shape at all that they are in in, in today's shape. Well, do you think and that do you think that the physicality of the game has sort of a sh- caused players to shy away from approaching the net as much because the guys coming at them with such a heavy ball that uh, they it could be it could be i mean like you say everybody's just trained to hit ground strokes so much that they have, you know nobody focuses i don't think enough on on volley you know um, and, an, and, an all court, and an all-court and an all-court game yeah i i would i'd rather see an all-court game i mean i personally i grew up as a servant volleyer so i, I was just i was on the net all the time and I relied on my legs. I'm very quick, you know, and I relied on my legs a lot. You know? Which is, which but, it is, uh, it, tennis is a movement game. So if you're, and I think there's a lot of people who blast away at the baseline in lieu of having to do the sprint up to the net. I think that's also another 
you know. I agree. I mean, you know, for me, tennis is a game of legs. It's not a game of arms. So you're not, uh, you're not obviously with what you've said in your comments earlier in the interview, you're not a believer in unforced error tennis. <laughs> <laughs> where you try to where you try to win by unforced error, right? Tennis, have, tennis, yeah, I mean tennis is a game of errors. It's not a game of winners. Look right. at look at the amount of errors as opposed to, to to winners. I mean that's all there's to it. I mean, you know, you 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 should you should be on the tennis court looking to make really good shots. You should not be on the tennis court looking to make great shots. Right. You know, I, I, the way I teach, especially is. I say that you have a certain level, you're at a certain level, and then every once in a while you hit some great shots, so you see some peaks. Every once in a while you see some some uh, bad shots, so you see some valleys, you know, along your line of ability. And sometimes, you know, as you progress and you start hitting more great shots or shots that, that you think are great and, and the percentage goes up, then your ability has now risen. You know, but because you are trying to hit really good shots all the time, you get some great shots. But you can't go out there on the tennis court and try to hit great shots all the time because you're going to have unforced error. You know, it's like it's like the people who, you know, one out of 20 shots they hit this unbelievable shot and they think they own the shot. Well, they don't. You know, it's five percent, one out of 20. Right. You know, when you when you can hit that, you know, 96, 97, 100 percent of the time, then you own that shot. So people are mis they're, they're, they're misled in their own mind. Right. Well, and I think we see that even in junior tennis when you see when you see a kid come in and he hits a shot that destroys the other kid and he he kind of encapsulates that. I think a lot of players do though, and it's a reason that gets people to come back though. Well, right? Yeah, it's like it's like it's like making a birdie on the eighteenth hole. Right. You play you play terrible up until the eighteenth hole, you make a birdie and you're excited to go play another round. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean if it gets you coming back, I guess, but you're re you're right, is on a consistency basis it doesn't do the trick. Um yeah. so when how did how how did your vision of tennis did you so you started getting into tennis and being coming a stringer and things like that before you had kids or was that after you had kids? Oh no, definitely before I had kids. Before you had kids, okay. So, Absolutely. so how did you get I, I, the story that I I don't want to mess up your story, so I'll let you tell it. But how did you get involved in becoming a professional stringer? Your first steps into that were you were kind of ticked off, weren't you? Yeah, I mean it's, it's a real, it's a, it's a pretty simple story. Um, for for those people who don't know what a wood racket is, I, I, I you know I was playing with the Bjorn Borg autograph racket, and um, it is it's a wood racket. It's a 65 square inch head, so much smaller than what we see today. And um, when you string the racket, there is a definite right side and a left side to the racket, and, and there's little groove. There's holes in the racket which are called grommets. You know, holes where the strings go through and in wood rackets they have a lot of little um i guess i'll call you call it slots where the string sort of changes different directions so you have your main strings and you have your cross strings and um so the person who i brought my racket to a local pro shop to have to string it and he strung the racket and he ended up on the wrong side of the racket when it was time to tie the knot so he had no place there was no hole to tie the knot and so he actually took the string, if you can imagine this, and, and took it up about, you know, four inches on the outside of the frame and then went and found a hole and tied the, the string into that hole. And so, 
you know, there were no bumpers to protect strings like they have on today's racket. And the string was exposed. And so, you know, the first time I played, I went for a low ball, you know, you know, for a low volley, scraped the ground, the, the string popped. I brought it back to the store and they said, ah, sorry, you know, I said, well, you, you know, it was your craftsmanship. It was, you know, that, that did this to me. And, and, you know, I think you should, you should warranty the work. And they said, no. And I said, well, thanks. And so I went down that afternoon and I went out and bought a stringing machine and, and uh, learned how to string. Simple as that. And, and so then you started stringing, obviously your own rackets, but then did you start stringing other people's rackets? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was, a, I was playing at a club at that point and, um, an outdoor club. And, um, I started asking people, hey, you know, I string my own rackets, can I string yours? And, and that's how it started. <laughs> that's how it started. And then, um, and then I, once I felt confident enough, I went out and, and you know, gathered other clients, so, other other clients, meeting other clubs. And then you sort of just built up a following from there. Correct. Yeah, I just I just built up my business from there. And then, at what yeah. point did you what point did you become a certified stringer? Um, well, um, gee, that's a good question. I, I, uh, I, well, let's see. I've, I've been doing this for 42 years so far. Um, I think I've been stringing for 42, 44 years, something like that. So I think after about, um, maybe five, six years, something like that. Okay. Yeah. I've been, I've been a member of the USRSA for a very long time. Yeah. yeah. You're up on their website. I think you're a 30 year member. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, something like that, you know. So, yeah, so something like that, you know. And, um, uh, yeah, so it's been a good journey. <laughs> well, I, I guess the thing is, is that, so, and then you've gone from certified stringer to master racket technician. And Correct. you're also yeah. a professional racket advisor under the U.S. RSA. And, um so obviously a certified stringer means you're certified to string. Well, why don't you tell what it means instead of me guessing here? Well, sure. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's an accreditation, you know, it, it, it means that you've passed the, uh, the qualification, you know, to represent, you know, the United States Racket String Association and, and they, you know, you're, you're qualified as a, you know, as a, as a professional to, to, you know, customize and, and string and take care of, uh, you know, your client's racket and, and, you know, and do a exemplary job. I mean, that's, that's the way I look at it. And, um, uh, you know, I'm also, <laughs> over the years, I've been doing this a long time, but I'm also the tester. So if, when somebody does want to become certified, um, become accredited, they, they come and they sign up with me and take the test through me. So, well, and I think one of the things, you know, for people who are listening, I think this goes a lot deeper than you kind of let on. And so the and, and this is one of the things that I wanted to get into was that, you know, I played tennis as a kid, but there was never an emphasis at my local club on strings. And I feel like that was a completely uh, overlooked, overlooked issue because I... Um, I never gave it a second thought. I mean, I had my racket restrung. Who knows? The local pro did it, whatever he did. And I never gave it a second thought as to how it would impact or affect my game. And I just cannot say enough about how strings can affect the game. And 
And obviously, not just the, the type and quality of the string that you purchase, but also the way it's strung on your racket. And the reason why I can say that is because um, I noticed a stark difference between the rackets that I purchased that were pre-strung, and then once I changed the composition of the string and also the poundage and weight of the string. And I did the same for my kids. I mean, I watched them literally go from having basically no control to a lot more control over what they were doing vis-a-vis -vis the strings. I mean, yes, the rackets changed, but the point I'm trying to make is I think that, and you can chime in here, but I think it's just completely overlooked with respect to string composition. It's not about necessarily, because I think you've told me before in our off-phone off conversations about how, you know, the strings are basically made by a couple of companies, and that's that's how it's broken down. There's not a zillion string manufacturers. There's a few string manufacturers. But the but right. I, I think it would be helpful for the listeners to hear, you know, some of these intricacies because and appreciate how important it is the strings that you choose can affect the how it impacts your body and the play, but it also impacts obviously your control and your power. And you're gonna have to make compromises over that control and power. Right. In order to achieve certain things. And that also may increase breakability. Right. No, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, what's the last thing your ball, the ball touches? Right. The string. Touches your string. So, yeah. you know, people just think that, hey, strings can last forever in your racket. But um, really, they, they shouldn't. And, you know, in, in today's world, there are, uh, I don't know, 500, 600, 800, you know, types of different strings on the market. You know, back in the day, you know, uh, the good players played with natural guts. The other players played with just a straight nylon, which was very, you know, inexpensive, uh, very non-playable string. So um, today's choices and with the development of today's game, you know, the amount of spin that's put on the games and the, the, the very stiff, light rackets that we now play with, um, strings are very, very important. And what you have to do is you least what I do for my clients is I, I look at each client as an individual and we try to come up with a certain recipe for their game. You know, I, I try to look at their their own physicality, their stroke production. I look at the um, and then we try to match strings and tensions, you know, to, you know, have a better equipped game for them to maximize, you know, the, the kind of uh, uh, strength and effectiveness of each of their shots through the types of strings that they're using. Well, and, 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 uh, and this, and this, let me just say, I think it's important people hearing this understand that it's not just for people who are existing, you know, halfway decent tennis players, you know, three Oh, three, five, four Oh, it, this is also can affect junior players too, because well, it, it affects smart. their, it affects obviously it can it can affect their psycho their psychology and the way that they ascend in the game. In other words, whether they feel like they're mastering the game or you know what I mean, they're they're having they're having an easier time playing or or they're controlling the ball more or they're having a harder time playing. And then also it can affect junior players with respect to the physical their effects on their physical bodies. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think it's important for people. And so if people, if people hearing this 
you know, they have a junior player and they want to try to figure out where, what would you recommend? I mean, they can all go to your, <laughs> they can all go to your website, right? And they can find information oh, yeah. there. Um, right. Yeah. What, yeah. what I mean, would you? I have, a lot of, I have a lot of articles up on the website. I, you know, you know, I write for another website too. Um, there's um, obviously you can, uh, you can come see me, call me. <laughs> You know, whatever, whatever it takes. What, to, what, uh, what is your website? We, might, we should put that out there. What is it? How is it spelled? Oh, oh the website. Yeah, it's uh, it's the rack. It's www.theracketman.net. And it's, it's uh, the T-H-E racket, R-A-C-Q-U-E-T, M-A-N.net. Okay. And on there you have, I, I know I've been there. You have a number of videos. I have, I have yeah, tons of videos. I have articles on, you know, rackets for juniors, stringing, um, you know, what, what, you know, the, the, the differences between types of strings, you know, polyesters versus monofilament versus multifilament versus synthetic guts. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a lot of information out there. And so you also, I think that's another thing that you do do locally, though. You do consultation with people where you'll actually go on the court and, you know, you can oh, try out some rackets and things like that. Absolutely. Make that's some suggestions. one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, well, and, 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 and it, it can help a player right from the start. It may seem like a little bit of, a, of an investment right at the beginning, like, geez, I don't want to spend whatever it is that you charge, but I don't want to spend that. I'll just pick up a racket. But if you really are contemplating playing tennis – or you're playing, your child is playing tennis for years, it's a, and they're going to take lessons every week, or they're going to be on the court every week, or at least a couple times a week, it, it's worth it's worth actually considering these things and, and trying right, to do yeah. them, <clears throat> rather than just picking an off-the-shelf racket and saying, here you go, <laughs> play, play, play. Right, and right. I think that's because, isn't that also because, Mark, there's so many choices, there's almost too many choices today in rackets? Is that? Uh, it, if, you, if you ask me, it, it's, it's very confusing there are so many choices because there's you have your racket companies then you have your families within the racket and then you know like take a wilson you have the pro staff the ultras the blades the clashes and then within the family you have six seven different rackets very confusing you know and that's why you know uh, having you know somebody with my kind of experience to explain it to you is very helpful well, and, and then you get into the interplay of the actual rackets to the strings and so Correct. can you give can you give kind of like a horror story about rackets making the incorrect choice well you know i'm i'm very big on um i'm very big on on, on juniors having the correct racket you know a racket that's not too long for them that's not too heavy um because I, I just really believe as you're developing as a child, you know, number one, I, I, I again, uh, I can't stress enough, I'm really big on stroke production. You know, it's just very important for me that the kids have good stroke production. And if a racket's too long or too heavy, they won't be able to, well, for lack of a better word, wield the racket. So um, I, think, I think that part right there is important for me. Um, I see too many kids who are in, you know, full beds of poly. Um, you know. So hold on, as, let's for for people who are oh. listening, you see too many kids because <laughs> you said that quickly. I just want to be clear. You see too yeah. many kids that are playing with polyester composition strings. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, polyester. It's um, mm -hmm. polyester is a it's a great string for 
and it really enhances spin because the uh, when the ball hits the strings, the strings split apart, the vein strings, and then they snap back. And polyester has a very, very quick snapback. It has the quickest snapback in, 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 in all the strings that are on the market. And what that does is that creates, you know, revolutions of the ball. So, um, and, you know, you get this from not, not only your racket speed, but your racket head speed. So once you learn how to control your racket head and create that speed, then you by using poly you'll get and you'll be able to intensify your spin, you know, spin that you already know how to make. Right. Um, it, you know, th there's nothing that will give you spin if you don't know how to make spin. You right. know, there's no magic racket or magic string. Right. But polyester, on the other hand, has a lot. It's very detrimental. It's very harsh on your body. The impact of the ball coming against the strings because they're very stiff. Rackets are very stiff. So if the strings are not going to give, if the racket is not going to bend upon impact of the ball, what's going to happen? Well, it's going to go to the weakest joint on your body. So it's going to affect your hand. It's going to affect your wrist, your elbow, your shoulder, whatever is the weakest joint. And this pounding over time, and it's the impact of the ball that, you know, is going to create some problems. And, you know, as, as a child growing up, your bones are not fully developed. I mean, you're not fully developed, so, you know, I mean, earlier for girls, but probably 14, 15 years old, and you're taking this big pounding on your on your body. And at some point, something's going to break down. And that's why you see a lot of juniors who are really good at the beginning stages, and they play a lot of tournaments, et cetera, et cetera, but when they get to a certain point, they're, they're, they're burned out physically and mentally because they just can't take the, uh, the abuse. And so the alternative to polyester obviously, is, I mean, you, there are a number of alternatives. You can go with natural yeah. gut, and you can also right. go with a multifilament, correct? Correct. Yeah. Nat so, yeah, natural gut is a multifilament. It's just the premium multifilament that's out there. Okay. Now, natural gut, the, the issue with natural gut is, of course, the expense. It's going to be double, yeah. triple what you're going to pay for another multifilament. But I should say, I mean, there are some inexpensive multifilaments out there that do the trick, right? Less expensive multifilament. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I think everybody looks at poly and people sit there and they say, okay, well, polyester, I can get a set of strings for five, seven bucks or whatever. And I mean, I've seen multifilament. I mean, I purchased a multifilament for my kid that's 10 bucks, you know, right. that's, yeah. that's out there. And it's a decent multifilament that you've, Correct. you've given your, you're okay with. So, you know, I mean. It is. It's possible out there. So, can you just quickly explain to why multifilament is important, or 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 it, it's the oh, yeah sure. Multifilaments are um, number one. They, they they do not have a core to them, so there is no solid strip of material inside of a multifilament. A multifilament is a bunch of fibers, thousands of fibers, like like your hair, and it's just all wrapped together, and. Um, and it's twisted, you know, and every, you know, every company, every string by every company has a different recipe. So it could be just a little different, you know, take on the matter. But, um, you know, multifilaments, they're just bound together and um, they play very soft. They're very, very resilient. In other words, that when it transfers energy, you know, back to the ball very quickly. Whereas a polyester doesn't. Polyester is a dead string. It doesn't, you know, some people say, oh, the polyester is so powerful, but it's, in reality, it's just the opposite. 
And um, so multi-filament, it, it, uh, it, it adds comfort, it adds control, it adds power, and um, it's just the best overall way to go. Unfortunately, if you're a big top-spinning person, um, you're, you might blow through a, you know, a set of multi-filament quickly. And, and that, that's, that's the problem because then the frequency of stringing is, you know, is, is greater. But doesn't that also depend on the gauge? Well, of course it does, but still, um, still, you know, a 17-gauge poly, in reality, you know, will last way longer than a, you know, than a 16-gauge uh, multi-filament. Okay, so and the, the and for people who are listening, the the lower the number, the the thicker the the string. So if you're at a 16-gauge, it's thicker than a 17-gauge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 16 gauge is typically 1.30 millimeters uh, thick in diameter, and then 17 is typically 1.25. Other companies have a different, you know, like Selinko, they they move down set, like their their 17 is 120 as opposed to 125. But, but typically in the U.S., that's what you'll find. And how many gauge. how many string manufacturers are there out there? Um, many. You know, I mean, I mean, many. Well, there's many different companies. There's a lot of a lot of different strings out there. Right. Um, a lot of, you know, most of the good polys are made in Germany. Okay. Um, a lot of the French manufacturers, a lot of the French strings are all made in France. Um, but mostly, um, you know, Japan, Taiwan, China. Right. So, and when you talk about, but I also think poundage is important. Can you explain, so now that we got that kind of squared away to some degree, can you explain how poundage affects, so now the interplay, we've got the racket, We've talked about the appropriateness of that for the age of the player, and obviously, once they get to a fully formed person, their their actual game style. But also, now we've talked about you know multifilaments versus poly a little bit. Um, can you talk briefly about um, how poundage interplays with um, the string composition and the racket? Sure. Yeah. Well, basically, um, and a lot of people don't understand this, but the lower the tension, the more power. Right. The tighter the, the tighter the tension, the less power you get. And a lot of people think that, you know, you string tight, you actually get more power, but they're, they're just confusing things a little bit, you know, just because they think it's got more tension on it. It's going to be like a bow and arrow or something, and it's going to you know, sling. But, um, and in today's game, like, you know, a lot of people, well, maybe not this generation has heard, but like Bjorn Borg used to string his rackets at 80 pounds, okay? And sometimes they, they would just be sitting in his room and they would just pop by themselves because the tension was just so tight. Um, and that was because, you know, his racket was very flexible and, um, you know, the type of string he was using, you know, was not a monofilament, was not a polyester. And um, he got his spin from the fact that when he hit the ball and his timing was, was very, very good, that the ball would actually deform onto the strings and then the, the nap of the ball would dig into the strings and then he would get his spin from that. But, you know, even the spin that Bjorn Borg had and, the, you know, the earliness of his, of his shots, his making contact of his shots, um, compared to today's top spin, you know, it's, it's nothing really. <laughs> And so that's why, um, with the introduction of using these polyester strings, which enhance spin, 
you you have to allow the polyester strings to move in the racket. So when you're making contact and you're swinging at such big at such big speeds with these very stiff rackets that now have stiff heads as well, then when the ball hits it, you want the strings to separate. And the more they separate and then snap back with the uh, rapidity of, of uh, polyester, then you're going to, uh, you know, severely enhance that you get on the ball. So the lower so, the poundage, the better. Yeah, the, the greater this will happen, the greater, you know, ratio or the greater rate this will happen. Now, but so, you, but you, do you also lose control? When well, you, 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 you gain control through spin. Okay. So it's a different kind of control. It's not a Jimmy Connors kind of flat ball. <laughs> okay. So by yeah. lower, but just so people, because I think people get confused on that too. When you lower the, when you lower the poundage, they sit there and they say, "Well, I'm going to lose control because now you've increased the trampoline effect." Is that correct? Yeah, and and you know, to some people who, to the people who are not as skilled, and cannot produce the type of topspin. Remember, remember, topspin is you have to know how to make topspin. You know, there's no string that will give you topspin. <laughs> right. Right. Or there's no racket that will do that. It only enhances the topspin that you know already know how to make. Right. So if you do not know how to make it, you know, and you swing at a very low tension, well, of course, it's going to fly on you. Right. So, yeah. so the but the poundage also can impact the, the the your your body, correct? Depending on absolutely. Okay. Can absolutely. You? If, if you you know if you're using a multi-filament and you string at a higher tension. You probably won't feel it too much. If you're stringing with a polyester and you're stringing at, at a higher tension, you're going to feel it. So let's go through that just slowly. <laughs> so let's say, oh, okay. let's say you have, uh, let's say you have a standard Wilson racket, whatever, just you know, a blade right. or something, and you say, okay, I'm going to choose a multi-filament here, and I'm going to string it. Uh, the recommended tension is like somewhere between. <laughs> 50 to 60 is recommended for a blade. Right. So if you yeah. go at the high end of that tension, you're at 60, what's likely to happen when you play? Well, if you're using a straight multifilament. Yeah, straight multifilament. Um, you, you, you'll get adequate tension, adequate power, I mean, depending on how hard you swing. and But you'll still feel, it'll, it'll be a nice feel on the, on the ball. You know, you won't feel too much of an impact. Um and you know, if you go at a lower tension, then you'll you'll have more of a what you call a trampoline effect. You'll, so you'll have more power and less control. Um, but if you're if you're using a polyester, then the ball will you know at, at 60 pounds, and the ball is going to come off much slower. So it'll be a, a what I call a deader feel, and you will not get as much opportunity for accelerated spin because the strings are not separating as, as quickly as they should or as much as they should because the tension is tighter than it should be. So then are you saying or suggesting that the people who go with a poly on that same Wilson blade go to the lower tension on the range to 50 or below? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And I have to, I have to convince people of this all the time. And then when I, and then when they come back after hitting, they go, Oh my God, I can't believe it. And I go, yeah. You know, but so why do they choose? To me, it seems like you, it's a no-brainer that you choose a multi-filament over a poly. Is it price? Yeah. yeah, I mean for the average player. I mean to be honest with you, 
I mean, there's there's so many people using polyester who probably should not be using polyester. Okay, is that just habit? Is it price, or is it, you know, conditioning? They've been conditioned by. Yeah, you know, basically, I'll be honest with you, it's because these pros, um, you know, who are their teachers and everything, they use poly, and because you know they have a they have a, a more advanced game and they're spinning the ball, blah blah blah. But the, you know, for their students, they can't. They don't have that kind of a game, so they they really, you know, shouldn't be using, you know, polyester until they learn how to make topspin out of a multi-filament string or just a regular synthetic gut, which is just a nylon string. So you do you strung you strung all of your son's rackets? Is that pretty fair to say? Of course, oh, I still so do. <laughs> when he was well, when he was growing up, how did that change? Did you have a pre-planned, or was it some trial and error on your part? Based on well, his development well, I mean, and his age but, and his but, physicality, there's always trial and error. I mean, I'm I'm still you know I'm still I'm still you know experimenting with my own stuff. Um, but um, no, for sure, I had him in uh, synthetic, just a straight synthetic, which is a solid core with 21 over wraps. Yeah, just a regular synthetic gut string. Okay. And I had I had him in that, and then um, as he got better, I put him into uh, straight multifilament. Okay. And you know, which was like a, um, it's like a natural god. It's like a um, uh, NXT. You know. Energy. And did did you change? And did did the poundage change over time? As he, yeah, of as course. So in what way did it change, or just in general? Can well, you, I, you know, at the, at the beginning, obviously, I strung loose for him. But um, as he got better, low poundage. I, so low poundage, low poundage for people who are listening. Yeah. Okay. You know, he's never been at a high. He's never ever been at a high poundage. At times, I went up a little bit when I was with a straight. You know, when he was playing with a straight uh, multi-filament. But then, you know, as 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 he was playing more and more tournaments and he became much more skilled, then I of course I put him into a hybrid. I never, I have never had him play with all poly. You know, and he hits a very big ball. And um, I, uh, I, right now I have him into a, a very sharp polyester. It's an angled polyester on the main strings and just a, your typical synthetic gut on the cross. So this is really interesting. I mean, obviously it was a little bit more cost-effective for you to do this with your son because you were doing your own stringing. But obviously yeah. you took the steps to do this. But it's, yeah. just, it's interesting to me because you're a master racket technician and obviously certified stringer, but... It's interesting to me that there's still so much trial and error involved, and I think that's good for people to hear, because I think yeah. the people, I think another barrier to people getting restrung is they start sitting there saying, they've made the calculus in their head, and the calculus goes something like this, like, well, what's the point? It's all the same. It's not going to change that much, so I'll just keep these on here. But in right. fact, you know, you and I have conversations that we've had over the years. One of the conversations you've had is like, we've, I've, I've just point blank asked you, I've, well, how long does this tension stay the way it is? And your answer was not long. <laughs> You're right. Not long. I mean, you, st you lose what, 20 to 25 percent of your tension within the first hours? In the, in the first, uh, polyester, you lose 25 percent within the first 24 hours. Now, what about a multi? A multi-filament, uh, well, natural gut holds it the best. So a uh, natural gut multi will, you know, you'll probably lose up to 10%. Okay. You know, however, the cool thing about natural gut is that 
it maintains its tension, so it'll lose the, the, the 10%, but then over time, it, 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 it holds its tension way better than any string on the market. And that's what that's what's so beautiful about natural gut. Interesting. Hold its tension. It's very resilient, you know. But we're we're a polyester. After a while, you know, as your poly gets old, you're swinging harder and harder without even knowing it. So I have a question for you. Then that springs to mind this other question: If you were to recommend to people, would you could you come to the conclusion? And you can obviously you're going to fact check me on this, but could you come to the conclusion that if you had if you you could actually go a little bit longer in between stringing if you chose a natural gut? Versus choosing a multi or no? In a, in a perfect world, yes. Okay. Yeah, you should, you should, you should, you know, without without breaking the strings, okay, you should. Uh, natural gut will last longer than a polyester. It's almost like the argument. In, 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 in a playability sense. Right. It's almost like the argument that everybody makes that, you know, synthetic oil, you can change it. It costs more, but you change it less, I guess. But, right. yeah. uh, um, but, um, so, and I think a lot of people have this thought that if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know, but, um, and yeah. I, I think that you're probably also experimenting with rackets too, still, right? Or Well, I still, I, not for, you know, I, I know what I like. It, it takes me, I, I, I can put a racket in my hand for five minutes and I know whether I can play with it or not. Um, you know, I, I, I test every racket that comes into my pro shop. You know, I have over 100 demos, so I, I know how every racket plays. Um, so, uh, you know, my knowledge is vast and with that. You how know, did you, I can, know, I, can I ask I you, how did you, how did you evolve? I guess it's maybe a natural evolution, but how did you evolve into being a pro shop owner? Did you, I mean, would that, did that come fairly uh, uh, quickly after you be, started doing stringing or did that, was that took yeah, time? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it did. Well, you know, once I got hooked up with Northbrook Racket Club, um, I, it was just a natural thing that I based out of there. So I based my, you know, I, I based my Northbrook Racket Club business out of there, and also, you know, I, my company is the Racket Man, obviously, and um, and they're nice enough to let me base my company out of there as well. So it was just a natural thing to have a pro shop. You know, I've always wanted, to, I always wanted to have a, my own brick and mortar. And but the owner at, at at the club said, "Why would you do that?" He says, "When you can just do it here." <laughs> well, right, and I guess it, it alleviates because then he doesn't have to take that on, right? Well, he doesn't. Have to, he's got me in house. He's got an in house expert, number one, and then for me, the benefits are unbelievable because there's no rent, <laughs> there's no utility, et cetera, et cetera. Correct? Right. Yeah, it's a huge so deal, it's, especially. It's, it's a win-win situation. Trust me. So when you when 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 people think about what are the, the key three things people should think about when they th or maybe you don't have three, but things that people should consider or that are always on your that you try to recommend with respect to, you know, picking out a good racket. And obviously we've we you know, we've talked about multifilament being kind of the natural, the nice, natural middle ground and string selection right. um, between natural gut and poly. But um, what are are there any like some? Well, I mean, I'm racket, racket. I'll give you I'll give you three words for racket. Okay. <laughs> sure. De demo, demo, demo. <laughs> In other words, you know, get an idea of what you think you should be playing with and demo the racket. You, but you know, you know demos I, are I, tough. I, but you, but I you know what I have to check you on this. Demos are tough because you don't always. I mean, they don't always tell you what they're strung with. You can kind of get a weird 
I mean, you know, don't you think? I mean, I agree with you on demoing, but I think that comes with a little asterisk at the end of it. Isn't that kind well, of? I, I, all I'm saying is you're you're not going to buy a racket without demoing the racket. Right. You know? Now, I mean, I, I don't know about people, you know, other than myself, but I string my demos with very high quality premium strings. You know, and and I, and I put them at attention and do everything that I that that I need to do that I think will um, enhance the playability of that racket. So and, really, uh, instead of going into a sporting goods store <laughs> or, or grabbing something online yeah. that you have no idea what's going to happen here, you know, and the return policies are terrible, you're better off going to a local club like the one you're at, and right. you're better off saying, you know, let, give me, let me borrow three, three different types of rackets or what have you, go on to right. the court and try, you know, play for, you know, spend an hour on the court, spend 20 minutes with each racket and correct and start to feel, okay, what's the difference here? Can you talk oh, just I briefly about grip size? How does that impact the players, the rackets playability and the players response to the game? It's right. if you choose the wrong grip side, how, how big of a, I'm, I'm just laughing at this because I just wrote it. I write for this, uh, this website called iArt International yeah. Alliance for Racket Technicians, and I just wrote an article on grip sizes. Okay. Well, good. We we we. So that, that's why I'm that's why I'm laughing about this. Um, well, good because I also just quickly wanted to ask you the difference between the iArt and the and NASRA, you know, because I don't know if people know, you know, these are two different organizations, but you know how they serve how they serve people in general. But anyway. Okay. Um, well, I mean, so the grip sizes, I mean, obviously, it's, 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 I don't think it's any secret. Grip sizes are, are becoming much smaller now. Or, or, or let's, let's put it this way. People are using smaller grip sizes. Okay. Um, and, um, I mean, I use a smaller grip size. I, when, I, when I was playing, I played with a 5 eighths grip. Now I play with a 5 sixteenths, which is in between a quarter and a 3 eighths. Um, Why is that? Just, is that for greater control or is that? Yeah, greater control um, due to spin. Okay. So, you, so you get you're allowing your wrist to rotate. A smaller grip allows your wrist to rotate more. Oh. Okay. Okay. And you know your your wrist moves in many different directions, and so on your serve, on your ground strokes, you know, not on your volleys, <laughs> right. not when you're blocking back every turn. <laughs> right. But um, you want your wrist to to be very you know flexible, very versatile. You want it to be able to move. So uh, a smaller grip really allows you to do that. And, um, you know, with today's type of rackets, with the polyester that's out there today, blah, blah, you know, and being a spin game. So, you know, I mean, you know, if Fetter is using a quarter and, you know, Nadal, I mean, some people say he uses a quarter. Some people say he uses an eighth. I, I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, you know, you just get you just get a ton of spin. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, no, and I understand that because I went to a – I went to a uh, eighth or a three eighth size grip, and it, I just found it to be incredibly challenging. Like, I I some just people, did, I didn't like some, it. You know, some some um, I'm going to use this term, and you know, don't be offended, but some old people, old school, you know, <laughs> old school people, um, they, they just can't they, they they just can't wrap their head around a small grip. Right. And um, and that's just the way it is. Uh, and you know, my response to that is, well, then you really you don't have a game that has a lot of top spin. So are you telling it. me, I, I just want to be clear on this, Federer's using what size grip? Quarter. Quarter. So he'd use a four and a quarter. Wow. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I understand, yeah. Wow. 
boy, that's something. I never would have, I never, because I grew up with a five eights too. And yeah. I went to a half and I feel that that's more comfortable, but then I tried a right. three eights and it just didn't seem, but, but this is interesting. And so, so people, so grip sizes are getting smaller and it's yeah. okay. And, it, but as far as the brands are concerned, racket, you know, all this stuff is overwhelming. It's, it's more just, you should almost blindfold yourself, you know, go in and try some demos and blindfold yourself and not get lost on the advertising and marketing. And yeah. is that oh, kind of, well, that, that, that part. Yeah. That's, um, I'll use a, I'll use a term here. I'll use a, a podcast term. That's all malarkey. Okay. <laughs> all, all the marketing stuff. Um, you know, you, you should, you should do some, you should ask yourself, what is my game? You know, how do I play? What do I like to do? How, how, you know, what, what are the, what are the strengths of my games? What is, what's the weaknesses of my game? And then you should go find a racket in that category. But what about for parents? Right. And I understand that's for an existing player, experienced player to some extent, but what about for parents who are kind of flying blind? Because I've been one of those, even though I played tennis since I was six, you know, I've been one of those parents that I, I, you know, it's dizzying. You, you're, you, you walk in, if you walk into your pro shop, you don't have as many rackets, but you have a lot. But I mean, you could walk, you could go online, you could, and it's, it's just yeah. dizzying. What is, is. is there a place to, st- I mean, and probably on purpose it's dizzying, but is there a place yeah. to start that you'd recommend? Yeah, I would, I, I would, I would, number one, you know, talk to the pro who you're taking lessons from and hopefully they're not the type of pro who has Univision and, you know, because they're playing with, uh, you know, a Babolat Pure Drive Tour, then they think the junior should be playing with that racket as well. Hopefully they have vision enough that they can tell you that, hey, you know, here's your child's type of game and, you know, here's a good place to start. You know, um, we have, we have I don't know how many pros at our club. I don't know. We have 25, 30 pros at our club. And, you know, they all go see Mark. You know, that's their, that's their mentality. Right. And then, you know, and the customer comes and sees me and we talk about it. Right. You know? And, um, and, you know, you have, to, you, have to, you have to weigh all the different variables, a lot of different variables, including price, what the, what the parent's willing to spend. Right. And there's and but the good news is, I guess, with all those options, there are a lot of options. So that's that's really good. I guess the last question yeah. I would have for you is how do you what would you like to see tennis be in 20, 30, 40 years from now? What would you how would shorter. you like to see it? <laughs> OK, I'd Can like you to see it be shorter. elaborate. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I love this, uh, like, Labor Cup. I love this event, the Labor Club. I, I love these, uh, you know, um, fast fast format where you play four games, that kind of stuff. So I think, I think tennis needs to be um, – I think it needs to come to a faster conclusion. So you're okay with collegiate doubles going to one set? It's fun. Okay. I mean, I, some, some, of the, some of my most uh, entertaining times were watching the college matches. Right. You know, I'm just saying that they go the no ad scoring. You can can yell, you can scream. You know what I mean? It it was it's a lot of fun. Right. You know, uh, is it fun to see, uh, you know, I mean, take it's become it's almost become a point of of physicality. Is this guy better fit? Right. I mean, you see somebody win. you know, you're in a grand slam, you see him win the first two sets. And then it's a close third set. He loses it, and then the other guy is just got his physicality is better. He's in better shape, and he he ends up winning. Right. The match. Did he really win the match? Right. 
Right. That's my that's my question. Did he really win the match? I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yes, yes. In the draw sheet, he did. So th- that's my that's my deal. I would like to see it where it becomes. Yes, I I I I truly truly believe you have to get in shape to play tennis. I, I I'm a huge believer of that. Uh-huh. Uh, however, I I I think it's. I'd like to see some of the skill factor be more. If somebody if somebody you know. I just think it should come to an earlier conclusion. So, in other words, instead of it being a marathon, you'd prefer yeah. if it was more like a track and field event. Then sure, you would. exactly. Like, like you know, maybe a four hundred instead of a ten thousand. Right. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, something, something like that. Uh, you know, I mean, I remember sitting back in the old days and watching, uh, you know, Borg and McEnroe, Borg and Connors play matches. You know, like this, and I'd sit in front of the TV on a beautiful sunny day. You know, watching for four hours, and I'm, I'm, I would never do that now. <laughs> right. I'd be out there playing myself. Right. You know, and, and, and it needs to. Uh, well, maybe yeah, it could be bifurcated. Right. Maybe it could be bifurcated into some shorter events and some, you know, longer events for people right. who yeah. want the traditional. But then to have shorter events like labor and, you know. Right. It, they're, they're more exciting. They're more engaging. And people who don't play tennis are actually going to watch. Right. Only uh, only those true tennis enthusiasts are going to sit there and watch these long matches. Right. And even at that, you know what I mean? You're going to record it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you can get through the and commercials. Then, and then watch it on your own time. Right. Right. So that's uh, something that you would love to see is the shorter, shorter matches. Yeah, absolutely. So draw people in. And, absolutely. And what about on the, the tennis teaching front? Anything that you would love to? Because, you know, it struck me, and this is the last thing, it struck me because I was, um, I went to a golf I went to a driving range that's local around here, and they had the swing analysis room. You know, you know what I mean? Right. And they have the video yeah. cameras, and they have all this stuff. And I'm like, why doesn't tennis I love have that. I don't understand why tennis doesn't have that. Like, why doesn't— Oh, they do. Oh, they do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I haven't yeah. seen it. I haven't—you know, I really haven't seen it. So I would yeah, I, I would I, love to see more of it where, where people could actually go into a room and get the yeah. video and whatever, the photographs, and actually sure. look and, and yeah. say, okay, what, what do I need to change here? Okay. Okay. So, so number one, I mean, tennis doesn't do anywhere near as good a job as, as golf does. Right. On any level. Okay. <laughs> on any level. Like, right. So there's number one. Right. However, you know, um, we are, um, you know, well, you know, I put out videos every every week. Sure. So I'm showing you analysis of different strokes every week. Right. And that, um, but when I'm teaching, you know, I I just pull out my phone. And I video the player and I said, okay, look at this is what's happening right here. Right. <laughs> look at this. You know, I'm telling you, you know, take your racket and, you know, on the back of the sea, you know, I want you to drop your racket down and they go, well, my racket is down. And then I film them and, and on the film, you know, their, their racket's up in the air. It's, it's pointing upwards. It's not, right. it's not even into the, you know, the loaded position as I want to call it. So we need so, to copy more of what golf does. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. Well, no, I mean, this is seriously, I mean, I think this is how we're building and improving the game. So, um, you know, I want to thank you for your time. This has been great. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Claude. I appreciate it a lot. You bet. No problem. Um, And, um, you know, keep doing what you're doing for as long as you can, because I think you've provided some super valuable help to people who, you know, it's really, I mean, especially in today's Internet world where there's a ton of information that's out there. But the the fact is that you don't know what you can trust. It's nice to, you know, have somebody who's dedicated. You know, you've got a real stake in the game, real skin in the game. And it's nice to be able to have 
on the ground experts like you who are helping people to make decisions and improve their game but also prevent injury so thank you for what you do well thank you so much i appreciate it you bet take care mark all right see you later Claude. Okay, take care. Bye -bye. Bye -bye.